Uh, my name is Johnny, and I am the uh, campus pastor here at the bridge. This is so tall. Oh, boy. Okay. You can all still see me, right? I'm the campus pastor here, and uh, I'm excited. I'm excited that you are joining us this morning. Uh, next week, it's Thanksgiving week. Who's going to travel for Thanksgiving? Anybody like going? A lot of folks traveling for Thanksgiving. It looks like beautiful weather, so congratulations. We're traveling too, my wife and I, and looking forward to it. But I'm, uh, I'm proud of all you for coming out before Turkey Day. Good for you. Thank you. Uh, we are almost done with our Acts series. Next week is going to be the last, um, uh, the last sermon in the Acts series before we get into the Advent season. And uh, to celebrate being almost at the end, I want to take us all the way back to the very, very, very beginning of the Acts series, to the very first week that we started this. And maybe you were here that week, maybe you weren't here that week, uh, maybe this is your first time that you've ever been here before. All of those are okay, because I'm going to summarize that sermon in two minutes. All of my sermons can be two minutes. Um, you just wouldn't pay me then. So, you know, I got to stretch it out, guys. <clears throat> I got to stretch it out. So I'm going to give you the two-minute recap here of that sermon. In week one, there were like 120 people all gathered together, and they were waiting and they were praying for this thing that Jesus had promised them called the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And they had no idea what the Holy Spirit was. They had no concept of, of what the Holy Spirit was or what that might look like. They just knew that Jesus had called them to wait and pray for this thing called the Holy Spirit. So that's what they were going to do. They believed that God was going to show up. They had an expectation that God would do something in their midst, that God would do something uh, uh, in and through them. And they didn't know what it was. They couldn't have any concept of what it would look like, but they had an expectation that God was going to do something. And that ultimately resulted in kind of the biggest thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. The Holy Spirit came, the church is set on fire, uh, and the kingdom of God starts to spread all over the world, all because of these 120 people gathered together with expectation that God was going to do something. And at the end of that sermon, I challenged us, I challenged myself, and I challenged all of us here, that as we came uh, during this act series, as we came to church, as we, as we prepared to worship, as we gathered together, that we would gather with expectation. That we would come together with an expectation that God was going to do something. And I said, we're not going to know what it is. Uh, there's no way for us to try to schedule what God is going to do or try to uh, tell God what it's got to look like. We were just going to gather with the expectation that God was going to show up in some way. God was going to do something. And I hope that you have done that. I have tried to do that, and I have seen God at work uh, throughout these 11 weeks that we've been in this series. Now, we haven't had an outbreaking of uh, the gift of tongues here in the church that freaked some of us out, okay? Some of us would be pumped. Some of us would be freaked. We haven't had that, okay? But as I've sat with a lot of you, I've had lunch, I've had coffee, I've shared emails, whatever it is, I have seen God at work in your lives. I have seen God showing up and moving in ways that are unexpected for me. Even in the life of the church, uh, since this series has begun, I have recognized that God has been on the move, and it's subtle. It's not like Pentecost every time. It's not like tongues of fire coming down and settling on us all the time in this space. But God is still on the move, and I pray that you have been able to see him on the move as well. 
So that was the first sermon, and I talked about having an expectancy and coming together with an expectancy of God moving. But what I did not say in that sermon, and what I have realized this week as I've studied our passage today, is that uh, waiting with expectancy for God can be a little bit scary. Waiting with expectancy for God can be scary. And it can be scary because when God moves, we don't really get to decide where, when, or how he does it. When God pours himself out, it can sometimes feel like there's too much. I I thought about bringing a cup and a pitcher and saying, I am this cup, and what I want is for God to just pour himself out enough to fill my cup, and that's great. Uh, And I didn't want to make a mess for the worship team, but I was just going to take that cup and dump uh, the whole pitcher in the cup and say, this is what happens when God moves sometimes. We don't have the capacity to hold all of that, and it can be a scary proposition to have to deal with all of the water on the floor from the movement of God. How can we possibly contain it? It can be a scary proposition. We're being moved to places and toward people and in directions that we do not feel prepared for. Suddenly the Holy Spirit is on the move, but he's moving a little faster and a little further than we'd like. And in our finiteness, in our humanness, that can be an overwhelming proposition. So last week, Pastor Josh preached about something just like this happening. <laughs> Excuse me. And he did a great job. I'm thankful that he's the student ministries pastor because he could, he could eat my lunch. He could take my job in a minute, guys. He did a great job preaching. Uh, and I would not do a great job with students. We cannot body swap. So you're stuck with me, okay? But he did a great job, and he preached about something like this happening. He preached about this story of Peter, who is the head honcho of the whole church, and he got swept up in a movement of the Holy Spirit that was larger than what he had the capacity to understand. Peter got caught up in this moment, and he, he was having visions, and he was meeting with people, and he was moving into spaces that he couldn't possibly understand, and he was going to these spaces, and the Holy Spirit was pushing him into these places, and it was asking him to rethink everything he thought about God. It was asking him to rethink everything he knew about tradition. It was asking him to rethink everything he thought about what was right and what was wrong. It was pushing him into spaces that were uncomfortable. Peter was just minding his own business, leading the church, and suddenly the Holy Spirit takes him on a ride. And Peter does well. Uh, If you were here last week, you heard Josh talk about it. (laughs) Excuse me. Uh, He goes to this man named Cornelius' house. They share a meal. Peter has a vision. And Peter realizes that Gentiles deserve to be part of the family of God, okay? That the Holy Spirit is being poured out on Gentiles. And to us this morning, that doesn't sound like much. We don't don't have any, like, we don't really understand what's the big deal because we're all Gentiles and we're pretty sure we already have the Spirit of God. So, like, big deal, Cornelius. But it was a huge deal because up to this point, really, the family of God only meant uh, Jewish people or converts to Judaism. And suddenly... Peter is confronted with this situation where God is pouring his spirit out on Gentiles, not converted to Judaism Gentiles, just straight up uncircumcised pagan Gentiles. That's a crazy moment that Peter gets caught in, and he does a good job. He goes into that space with Cornelius. But honestly, the space with Cornelius is not the scariest part. That's not the scariest part of this movement of God. I think the scariest part is when he has to answer for what he's done. 
Because whenever God calls us to rethink the way that we think about Him, to rethink the way that we think about tradition, to rethink whatever it is, whenever God calls us to those spaces where we are rethinking, those who haven't rethunk, that's a copyright, okay? Those who have not rethunk are going to want some answers. They're going to want to know what in the world we're doing. They're going to want to know what in the world we are thinking when we're moving against the grain in those ways, when we're following this movement of the Holy Spirit. So that's where we are this morning. Peter has just come back from Cornelius' house, and he has seen something incredible. And he shouldn't have been at Cornelius' house according to the law. He should not have been there according to tradition. He shouldn't have been there. And even if he went there, he absolutely should not have shared a meal, which he did. And now he has to give an answer for doing that. He has transgressed. Peter has crossed a line. And the people uh, of the church, the Jewish folks who made up uh, the church, want to know what happened. They want him to give an account. So that's where we are. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. It's going to be on the screen for us today. The apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Oh my, scandalous. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, when he comes home, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in the trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this is it right here. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when I was interviewing here for this job, uh, I, had, uh, I had two in-person interviews. First, I had all these phone interviews, and they made me talk to all these scary elders like Christopher White and uh, Dave Vanderwerf, terrifying people, very intimidating folks. If you don't know them, uh, they'll just freeze you right to your chair with their stares. Um, no, they're wonderful. It's, and everything was going really well, okay? Everything's going great. And I had my first in-person interview. Um, <coughs> excuse me. 
And, and honestly, I can say it was, it was almost fun. I mean, we're ha- I'm having a good time with the senior leadership team, which is all the pastors and the business manager. And, uh, and we're sharing personal stories. And it's a very personal type of interview, talking about my work style, talking about my past and all this. And I had a good time. I had a great interview. And I went home, and I get a call that they want me to come back for a second interview. And I'm thinking, for what, man? I crushed it, right? Like, what do I need a second interview for? That was so good. But okay, fine, all right, yeah, we do your due diligence. So I, uh, I come back for a second interview, and the night before the interview, I have uh, supper with Pastor Gary, who's the campus pastor at our other campus, and uh, Pastor Bep, who's our children's pastor, who you saw today. And I, I said to them, what's the deal? Like, what is this second interview all about? And they were like, like, real cagey. So, okay, no big deal, whatever, don't tell me, Okay. So I sit down for my second interview, and, I, and I'm feeling confident, right? Because I like these people. We're having a good time. And then all of a sudden, they start in with these deep theological questions. And I realize, oh, this is that interview. This is that interview. And Pastor Isaiah was here then. And if you didn't know Pastor Isaiah, he was a, uh, he was a very nice guy, very friendly. But he was also like a theological genius. And he just sat there and stared at me with no look on his face at all. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? Like, what am I saying? And uh, Pastor Josh is just sitting there, arms crossed like this. And, you know, it's like, oh, it's just looking at me. Nobody's helping me. Nobody's smiling except for Pastor Bep. But she can't help herself but smile. You know what I'm saying? I don't think she was even being nice. I think that's just Bep. Um, it was intimidating. It was really intimidating. I feel pretty theologically capable. I went to seminary, whatever. Uh, but being in a room full of pastors who are peppering you with kind of these kind of dense theological questions, it can be an intimidating type of situation. I, I, and that's, that's how it was. Uh, obviously, it went okay. Here I am. My, theologi- uh, my theology airtight, guys. Don't worry. I've been vetted. Uh, I'm here. But I imagine that's how Peter felt. I imagine that's a little bit of how Peter felt. Peter has this experience. He has this thing happen to him, and he comes back to Jerusalem, the center of the church, and here's Peter. He's supposed to be the leader of this whole church, and he, as soon as he rolls up into town, it says he's got this group of people, and they're coming to him, and they're criticizing him for what he has done. Word has traveled about Peter's wild ride, and there are people who are quick to criticize him, and they want him to give an account for what has happened. And what happens next is actually kind of crazy because Peter just straight up tells them the story. That, that's what Peter does. Peter just straight up tells them the story of what happened. And that's noteworthy because the people who are criticizing Peter are not asking for the story. The, the question that they ask, they have not come to Peter to say like, hey, what happened last night? You know, it's crazy. Tell us. Like, that's not the tenor and tone of this thing. What they're saying is, Peter, you know the law. You know what God says. You know our customs. You know our traditions. How in the world do you justify doing this? They're asking a theological question. They want a theological accounting. And in response to a theological question, Peter tells a story. That's also noteworthy because Peter, throughout the book of Acts, is not really a storyteller. That's not really his thing. Peter's a preacher. I mean, Peter is a preacher. And when Peter preaches, he likes to get out the Bible and he likes to use the Old Testament. He likes to get into the prophets. He likes to get into the history of Israel. He likes to get into all of that. He likes to preach. And he'll take a scripture and he will apply it to a new situation. And he is skilled at that. 
He can give theological accounts for what, uh, excuse me, for what has happened. But not here. Not in this scenario. Here, Peter just lays it out. Here's what happened. And in this telling of the story, we are taken again through the wild and crazy ride that the Spirit took Peter on. We see how God freaked Peter out by asking him to eat food that he knew he shouldn't eat, how God made Peter uncomfortable by sending him to Cornelius' house, and how God blew Peter's mind by sending the Spirit to the Gentiles. These people who Peter could never have imagined in a million years would be able to receive the Spirit. He recounts it again. This is what happened. This is what happened. In the light of a movement of God, all Peter can do is tell about what God has done. So Willie James Jennings, who I continue to uh, love as I study the book of Acts, says it like this. Peter has only one option. He must give voice to his experience. He has no textual witness to fall back on, no prophetic utterance to conjure for the collective memory of his people. The prophets of old did not prepare him for this. He's got no Bible verse that he can pull out. He's got no uh, theology that he can go uh, back to the book and grab. He's out here on the experience of God. The Holy Spirit has taken Peter to a place where there is nothing to stand on except for the Holy Spirit. And that is a terrifying and a sacred space because it is a space that can only be communicated by the language of experience. And I don't know if you know this, but in the church, experience can be kind of a dirty word. So in 1918, uh, the issue of ordaining women, 1918, the issue of ordaining women was first raised uh, in a general synod meeting, which is like uh, the governing body of our denomination, the Reformed Church in America. All the churches send people to the general synod. And the the first time that it's uh, recorded that the issue of ordaining women was brought up was in 1918 at the general synod. In 1918, there were women who had experienced something beyond their capacity to understand. There were women who experienced a movement of the Spirit that was taking them into scary and uncharted places. Places that put them at odds with established ideas of how God works and who God calls. It's 1918. It did not get passed in 1918. 1918 is just the beginning of this Holy Spirit movement. After the General Synod, Uh, decided not to take up the issue then, the Spirit kept on bringing it back up. It's weird how the Spirit will do that. The Spirit kept on filling up women with this uh, uh, desire and this ability to go and proclaim and preach the Word, to pastor, to lead churches. And as they kept on having this come up, they kept on having to go back to General Synod to try to get this thing figured out. And they came back in 1921 1922, 1932, 1936, 1941, 1951, and every year after 1951 until 1979. I, I can only imagine the frustration for women in a denomination during those years who were called by God to ministry. They had been caught off guard by the God who catches us off guard. 
they had been caught up into something that moved too fast and went too far and asked people to rethink too many things. Everybody knows the Bible says women can't be pastors. Everybody knows the Bible says God only calls men. Everybody knows the Holy Spirit doesn't move like that. Everybody knows that these are the established ways that things are going to go. And yet, these women are caught up in this movement, and all that they have to stand in the gap is their experience. Their experience of the Holy Spirit's movement. God had done something and moved them into a space where they had nothing to stand on but God. In 1979, 60 years after the Spirit started moving, the RCA began ordaining women. And now we have a female lead pastor and other women pastors on staff here at this church, and it's a beautiful thing, and it's been a beautiful thing for me to be a part of because that's not the tradition that I come from. And I have really enjoyed what happens when we're all bringing our gifts together. It reshaped how we thought as a denomination. It reshaped how we read and understood Scripture. It reshaped how we heard the voice of God in the experience of scores of women that he had called. We were willing to join the wild ride that Holy Spirit was calling us to. Luckily for the Gentiles in this passage, it does not take 60 years for the early church to catch the movement, okay? They were a lot looser back then. They were a lot more agile back then than we are today, okay? It didn't take 60 years. Uh, In our passage today, there's this beautiful moment. Peter has given his account. He's told his story. He has shared his experience, an experience that's terrifying, an experience that has put him out on a ledge, right, with nothing to stand on but God. He has shared this. And at the end of the story, Peter says, So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed, Who was I to think I could stand in God's way? Peter says the Holy Spirit moved. He moved beyond my understanding, beyond my comfort, beyond my theology, beyond my interpretation, but he moved. And if the Spirit of God moved, who am I to get in the way? And I love the original Greek uh, in this passage. The NIV, which I really love, doesn't quite do it justice. In the original Greek, these are the next words after Peter says that. It says, having heard these things, they, his critics, were silent. Having heard these things, the critics are silent. Peter cannot explain what's happened. He's been caught completely flat-footed by God. This whole thing has exploded. His categories thrown his airtight theological interpretations into disarray. And when he tells this group of skeptics, that all he can say is that God is at work beyond his capacity to understand, they are struck absolutely silent. In the face of the movement of God, what can they say? And then suddenly, they burst forth, and it says they begin praising God. It's the only response that is possible when we allow ourselves to be swept up in the tidal wave of God's love. When we stop with the skepticism, when we stop saying no, when we stop with the, it doesn't make sense to my categories, when we stop with the God, it's too much for me, the only thing that's left is to praise God because we've been swept up in the tidal wave of his love, his love for us and his love for others around us. God is constantly pushing us 
out. God is constantly pressing out the borders. God is constantly bringing more people into the big tent of his love. And it's bigger than we in our finiteness often believe it possible to be. Peter and this group of people who have listened to his story do not understand what God is doing. They do not get it. It does not conform to their ideas of what God should be doing. But they have realized that they are in no position to disagree with a movement of the Spirit. That's what's scary. That's the part that's a scary proposition. Because I don't know about you, but I like it when God fits neatly inside my box. When God only, uh, you know, moves in directions that my ideas are okay with. When God only calls me to places and spaces that make me feel really comfortable and at peace. That's where I prefer God to be at work. But that's not how God does it. I would like 60 years of testing. I really would. I don't blame the RCA. I too would like 60 years of testing these things. I'm willing to jump in with the Holy Spirit uh, after I check the original manuscripts a few more times and after I clear up my interpretation of God's Word. Then I'm willing to jump in. Then I'm willing to consider a movement of the Spirit. It can be too much, too fast, too far outside what we imagine it's going to look like to follow God. And we think that it's changed. We think that God is changing. But here's the truth this morning. God never changes, but he's always changing us. God is not changing. God is not doing something new to God. It's not like God woke up this morning and thought, here's a new thought that I've never thought before and I'm going to do this thing. That's not how it works. But God is always changing us. God is always drawing us deeper into relationship with him. He's continually revealing more of himself to us. He is still speaking a word that sounds new to us, but that has been within himself from eternity past. What do we do with that? What do we do with a God that big, that scary? That's what we mean when we say that God is still speaking today. God is still speaking today. Not new thoughts for him, new thoughts for us. God is still speaking today. It's a confession that there is more to God and his plans than what we are aware of right now. And when we confess that truth and open ourselves up to the possibility that God will do something in our lives, we may find ourselves with an experience that moves beyond our interpretation, that presses us beyond our categories, beyond our tradition, beyond maybe even our language to express. That's a big idea. And I don't have a real thing that I'm trying to draw us to to make that a smaller idea. That's the idea today. That's it. That's how big God is. That's how big the Holy Spirit is. That's how big this thing that we get to be caught up in is. So next week, we're finishing our series and we're moving into Advent, but my sincere prayer for us is that we never leave behind the expectation that God will move and reveal himself to us in ways that continue to catch us off guard. 
that we would still gather here together with an expectation of revelation, that we would gather together with an expectation that God will do something, that we would pray with anticipation of God pouring out his spirit on ways that terrify us, that we would continue to wait for God to catch us up in movements that are beyond our capacity to understand or control. Because it might be scary. It will be scary. But when we are with God, we're right where we're supposed to be. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you that you are bigger than my ideas of you. God, I thank you that you created us in your image and not the other way around. I thank you that you can still surprise us. You can still scare us. You can still uh, blow our minds, God. I pray that we, that I, God, I pray that I would have the humility to get caught up in your movement. That I would have the humility to not categorize everything into my neat and tidy interpretational and theological boxes, God, but that I would uh, be caught up with you and be pressed into places and spaces where I have nothing left but my experience of the Holy Spirit. And God, you'll never contradict yourself, but you will reveal yourself more to us day after day. And I thank you that even when we get to see you face to face, there still will never be enough time for us to fully comprehend or understand who you are. God, we love you, and we're scared of you. And that's the right place to be. We pray all this in your name. Amen.